Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. You know, when you live in this country, uh, unfortunately, we often have opportunities to come uh, and worship and think about just how deeply the world we live in and the country we live in is not yet God's dream for this world. So perhaps it's helpful for me just to name that I know, because I've heard from so many of you that Today's reasons that you come worshiping are often because you are thinking of the particularly cruel ways uh, that trans children are being targeted by powerful people in this state, and because of the invasion of Ukraine by Russian military. As your pastor, I commend you for the ways that you seem to regularly be rightly disturbed when this world has not yet become the dream that God has for it. By the way, that's my take on the old language is God's kingdom for the world. Other places will call it kingdom. Or uh, There's lots of different ways that you can make sense of it. To me, a more helpful way of thinking about it is it's what God's dream for this world actually is. And there's always a gap between what God's dream for this world is and the current reality. Yeah. In our congregation, uh, but not just in our congregation, our bishop has made clear that in every congregation in this diocese, there is no equivocation. Trans children are beloved children of God. Full stop. And both they and their families should find in our church a place of welcome without fear. Uh, I believe that the world is a better place because trans kids are in it and uh, our church is better uh, because trans people are in it. And as you consider the people of Ukraine in prayer today, my hope for you as Jesus-centered people is that you would resist all temptations to be cynical about your prayer life. I know many of us have lots of valid reasons for being cynical about Christianity uh, in America. And I pray for you that um, 
It's actually what Paul Ricoeur calls kind of out beyond the desert of cynicism. We hope that one day we might be called again. I hope that you don't accept the false dichotomy between real action and prayers. I know it's easy to be cynical because people who like to go on and on, typically in the news, with their calls for thoughts and prayers, probably ought to do a lot more thinking and praying themselves. But don't let their unhelpful use of thoughts and prayers dissuade you from actual thoughtful prayer. Especially because anytime the nations of the world once again engage in wars and rumors of war, they're always going to eventually try to co-opt the church into their we. When, whenever you are told we are at war, you will need thoughtful prayer to clarify who that we is that is being evoked. And if you don't know how to pray, a little book called The Nazareth Manifesto outlines three ways to pray when you don't know how. Here's the first. It's a prayer of resurrection. This is a prayer where you ask for a miracle. God, heal this which I don't think can be healed in any other way unless you actually do something. This is a fix-it prayer. There are certain situations where only God can take action. And there are some Christian traditions that are frankly more comfortable at praying these kinds of prayers than others of us. And even though we know the church is founded on prayer of resurrection, sometimes it's difficult because our imaginations are so captured by how the world actually is. So take a moment now and say a resurrection prayer in your heart. Here's the second kind of prayer, prayer of incarnation. This is the prayer of being with. Being human doesn't mean that life will be free from suffering, pain, fear, hardship, or struggle. We call it incarnation because God became human and endured all of this reality with us. Jesus came to be with us. And so a prayer of incarnation is when we ask God to come be with the people that we are concerned about. But be careful. God loves to co-opt you into action when you pray prayers of incarnation. You might discover that in your desire for God to be with these others, that God will in fact say, maybe you should go be with them. And yet in praying this, we often wonder, is God calling me to be the one? So take a moment now and say an incarnation prayer in your heart. Here's the third and final kind of prayer when you don't know what to pray. It's a prayer of transfiguration. This is a prayer asking God to do an epiphany, to do a big reveal, to pull the curtain back and show a deeper reality than we can see at first glance. Resurrection prayers defy the world's givens and trust in God, hoping that this trust is real courage and not foolish fantasy. Incarnation prayers remember that solidarity and companionship are the deepest gifts that we can offer one another. 
hoping that even in our being with, we will not be destroyed. Transfiguration prayers ask for apocalypse, for a revelation. Transform this trial into a glimpse of glory. Make this moment an icon into the deep mysteries of faith. Show me the eternal in the midst of today. Show me forever now. Reveal to me all the ways that you, God, are always hidden behind and inside everything we see on the surface. Lord, in your transfiguration, we see revealed to us all the ways that you are always within, behind, and beyond what we can see. So take a moment now and pray a prayer of transfiguration in your heart. Those are the three kinds of prayers. Resurrect this situation, be with us or be with them, and reveal the deep mysteries beyond this moment. And with that, let's pray our normal prayer before the sermon. Oh God, open us up. Open our eyes so that we can see and open our ears so that we can hear. Open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you want to take out of your heart and place deep within ours. And then, O oh God, open our hands to serve. And may I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In some ways, my dear sisters, brothers, and siblings, the story of transfiguration, the gospel story, is exactly what we want encounters with Jesus to be like. It's like he finally pulls it back and you're like, there he is. That's my guy. This is exactly what I thought I was getting on board with. The heavens rip open and we are almost blinded by God's radiance. But if you know the whole story of Jesus, you know that there is more being evoked in this story. And if you don't know the story of Jesus, that's fine. You don't have to know the story of Jesus first and then figure out how to belong in this community. You can just be part of the community. Let me tell you a little bit more about the story of Jesus. The disciples, they love what they're seeing. They start pitching Jesus. Let's stay here. This is exactly what we kind of wanted. This is great. We don't need to go any further. But Jesus is not trying to keep them on the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus is on the move. And if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, the primary warning that I have to issue to you is that Jesus Christ is a living God on the move. And every time we try to get Jesus to stand still, Jesus will not. I mean, this is ultimately what Good Friday is, is our final attempt at pinning God down and saying, stop moving. And Easter is God's final way of saying, you'll never control me. The major epiphany lesson is that this God is a God on the move, not staying put. And so the Transfiguration Mountain actually foreshadows the next mountain that is coming called Golgotha. 
the mountain of Good Friday, in which Jesus would be put to death by the empire. I wonder if you can hold both mountains in mind, the mountain of transfiguration and the mountain of Good Friday. On one mountain, Moses and Elijah are flanking Jesus on either side. On the other mountain, Jesus is surrounded by two violent insurrectionists being put to death. On one mountain, a bright cloud envelops. On the other mountain, clouds cover the sky. On one mountain, a voice from the cloud says, This is my child. This is my son in whom I am deeply loved. And on another mountain, the Roman centurion picks up the script and says, Surely that was the son. On one mountain, Jesus' clothes shine bright. And on another mountain, he is naked in shame and they are fighting over his clothes. These are the two mountains. And it's up to us to wonder which one is the mountain of glory and which one is the mountain of shame. We kind of love mountain one because we say, that's exactly who I want Jesus to be. And we look at mountain number two and we think, oh, what a tragedy. And yet there is a deeper logic at play. Even if you look at the two icons, your Google search terms later would be icon of transfiguration and icon of Good Friday. They're similar. Jesus Christ holds the middle position in between these two others. There is a deeper logic where we are meant to hold both images together in a way that is mutually illuminating, even in their juxtaposition. Which is the mountain of glory? Which is the mountain of shame? We love to say, oh, well, in this mountain, Jesus is like God. And in this mountain, we see his humanity. And Jesus Christ, again, is on the move and always moves out of our neat, tidy little theological boxes that we try to make sense of the reality and the mystery of Jesus Christ. But these are the two mountains. And this is how the season after the epiphany ends. The epiphany is the season of revelation where God finally shows us who God is. It's an epiphany. It's a revelation. It is not our best guess. It is not the labor of our hard work finally putting all the clues together and saying, okay, I think we kind of know who God is now. It's only God showing up and showing us in Jesus Christ how loving, liberating, and life-giving this God actually is. And the final Sunday in the Epiphany shows us that we were never quite going to guess God's identity on our own. God was going to have to show that to us in an Epiphany. And the season after the Epiphany ends with Jesus taking us down off of the mountain of transfiguration, leaving the mountaintop experience, and leading us somewhere that, frankly, we'd rather not go. So, Holy Family, we are now walking with Jesus between the mountain of transfiguration to the mountain 
of crucifixion. And the name for that walk is what we call Lent. Find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.